Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. One of the best examples of loving one's enemies that I can think of in the 20th century, I believe, was the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., about his leadership of the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s. Now, King was not flawless, but he was a great leader and he was a Christian leader. In the face of a judicial injustice, King led his people to civil rights disobedience, civil disobedience in order to stimulate the conscience of the American people. The civil rights movement was a prayer movement as well as a political movement. King and his followers were subjected to all kinds of brutality and beatings and savage dogs and high-pressure hoses, but they were determined to love in spite of what their enemies did to them, in spite of how their enemies treated them. Now, I mentioned this about Martin Luther King Jr. for two reasons. One, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day in our nation, where we set aside this day to really remember and reflect the life and, and what it is that he did for our nation. And so I encourage you tomorrow that, yes, enjoy the day off, but don't just enjoy the day off. Take some time to reflect on his life. If you don't know much about his life, then then research his life. And maybe take some time to read through some of his most famous speeches or maybe some that aren't as famous and just to see what it was that he was writing about because uh, if you have been paying attention over the last year in our own nation, then you can know that it, it really looks back a lot to what they were doing and talking about back in the 50s and 60s. And so I encourage you to do that. The other reason I mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is because uh, today we just happen to be in the exact same passage that he preached on November 17, 1957 at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Dr. King gave us his sermon entitled Loving Your Enemies using his text, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. Now, we'll be in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48 this morning, and I've titled our passage, Kingdom Love, Loving Your Enemies. King began his sermon. He said, I want to turn your attention to this subject, loving your enemies. It's so basic to me because it's part of my basic philosophical and theological orientation. The whole idea of love. The whole philosophy of love. So first what Dr. King did is he outlined three ways to go about loving your enemies. First he said, look within yourself to realize that you are not perfect. And something you have done might have sparked their hatred. Second, he said, discover the element of good in your enemy. And third, he said, when the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is a time that you must not do it. Sounds pretty counterintuitive, right? And then he considered the reasons why you should love your enemies. He said, hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. He said, hate distorts the personality of the hater and love has within it a redemptive power. You guys hold on to that. Love has within it a redemptive power. Finally, King concluded his sermon that the the oppressed people face three choices. He said one of them is to rise up against their oppressors with physical violence and corroding hatred. But oh, this isn't the way. For the danger of the weakness of this method is its utility. Violence creates many more social problems than it solves. You would think Dr. King was addressing us today in our nation. He says, another way is the acquisites and to give in, to resign yourself to the oppression. 
But that too isn't the way because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as it is cooperation with good. And he says, but oh, there is another way. And that is to organize a mass nonviolent resistance based on the principle of love. It seems to me that this is the only way as our eyes look to the future. As we look out across the years and across the generations, let us develop and move right here. We must discover the power of love, the power, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we will be able to make this old world a new world. We'll be able to make men better. Love is the only way, and Jesus discovered that. And so Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't talking about love for love's sake, love within itself, but love that was rooted and focused on Jesus. Jesus who modeled this love that, that Dr. King or anybody else could not do without the power of the Holy Spirit within him. And so this morning, we too are looking at loving your enemies. This is likely a very familiar passage. And so that's kind of the risk when you when you preach something like this. Because most of us look at it and we think we've, we've got this one covered. But this one, if we're all honest with ourselves, this is one that's really hard to live out. It's easy up here to say, yes, I agree with this, but it's really hard to actually go out into the streets and live this out. And so go ahead, if you haven't already, and open your Bible or, or open your app and find the book of Matthew. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Find chapter 5, and we'll finish in the last few verses, verses 43 through 48. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48 this morning. Go ahead and read with me. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me pray for us as we dive into this passage this morning. God, we want to come to you right now and ask simply as we look at this passage on loving our enemies, God, you will show us how to do that. That's our simple prayer. We ask that now by your power and in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we see that Jesus forms this antithesis, these, these six uh, prescribed behaviors that we've been looking at here. And so he comes in in this passage, and first what he does, he gives us this, the prescribed behavior to love your enemies and pray for your persecutors. Second, what he does is he grounds the love, your enemy command, in this universal love of God for all humans. So he says, you are to love your enemy because I love you, and I love all humans. Third, Jesus interrogates his followers by pushing back against an ethic family-only kind of love. In other words, he says, don't only love those who are easy to love. Don't only love those who are like you. Love those who are different than you. And so that's sort of a bias. that It makes them no different than the tax collectors and Gentiles if they were to only love that way. Finally, he offers a summary statement. He says, be perfect. Okay? How's that one for you? He <laughs> says, but this summary makes only sense by perceiving the logic of verses 44 and 45. It says, as God cares for all, so they are too to love all people. So it's because of God's love for all people that in turn his followers as an overflow of their heart are also to love all people. And so as God is perfect, then we are to go and be perfect. So here in this passage, here's what Jesus is doing. He's bringing forth this radical ethic of how we are supposed to love 
other people. And just like all of the other uh, five things that we've looked at, this one is no different because when you look at this, if you actually take it to the full degree that it, it looks like it's intended, this is actually impossible. And so as a result, here's what the religious teachers of the day were doing. They were kind of soft peddling and they were making it easier. And so they were teaching, if you people love you, then love them back. Well, that's pretty simple. If somebody loves you, you love them back. If people hate you, then hate them back. So it's kind of justifying when it's okay to love someone and when it's okay to actually hate someone. But what does Jesus do? All typical Jesus. He takes it and flips it upside down in his head. And Jesus comes in and he destroys this teaching. Jesus comes in and he shows how it is to rightly be interpreted. And so the teachers of the law would go in and kind of give their own interpretation, which is common what we do when we read scripture. We kind of pick and choose and we want to interpret the way that's going to fit into our lifestyle and allow us to continue to sin oftentimes. But Jesus comes in and says, let me be your hermeneutic, kind of the Jesus hermeneutic, and let me interpret for you how it is to rightly be interpreted. So what about loving those who aren't like us? The teachers of the day weren't really addressing that. How about loving those that believe or behave differently than us? I mean, I think about being a Christian in the city of Portland and, and being a church in the city of Portland. The reality is that most of our city behaves very differently than us. Most of our city holds to a very than what we hold to. So are we to love those people? And if so, how is it that we are to love them? Jesus says, yes, you are to love those who aren't like you. And don't love us back because we are to love those who are believed differently than us. We are to love those who behave differently than us because our Father in heaven loved us. And so look back with me at verse 44. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, most of us are surprised, or not surprised, when to hear Jesus, I mean, Jesus of all people, are you surprised that he says, love your enemies? But here's what happens. If you're anything like me, you read, love your enemies, and you go, check, I've got that, and you just move on. Let me start Matthew chapter six now. But we make this assumption within that that we don't have any enemies. Now, it would be problematic if we went out for coffee and I sat down across from you and said, do you have any enemies? And you quickly said, here's my five enemies. That would be problematic. And there's professional counselors in the city of Portland. We'd probably refer you to them. Okay, I can imagine the laughter if you were uh, with me in person right now. But it's always important for us to look back at the original context, but also at the original languages that scripture was written in. But the, when you look at the Greek word for loving your enemies, what this really means is those who oppose or have hostility towards. So your enemies are those who oppose you or are bitter towards you or the ones that you are opposing or feel bitterness towards yourself. People who get bitter when you succeed or vice versa. Those, that person who got that promotion over you at work. That friend who got married while you are still single. The family member who just seems to be better at everything that you're not. Or maybe that person in your world that everyone just seems to love, but you can't stand them. Now, I know that you all have someone in mind. I do. It's okay. The person, there's an, an opposition in your heart towards that person. That there, There's just something that you're like, I don't want to see that person. I don't want to talk to that person. And here's what you do. You put on a fake smile when you see them. And hey, how you doing? How's the family? Or you totally avoid them. And so we find this idea of this fight or flight mentality because there's some animosity. Now, what do I mean by that? When, when, when you either fight to avoid somebody. And so the, the most prominent where we see this today is social media. And we're, so we see we're, we're social media, Christian fighting on social media is worse than the world's fighting on social media. Okay, so I just, 
I'm getting aware I use it less and less. I like hop on. I went to a, a seminar last weekend and the guy said, when you go online, specifically when you go to social media, go with a plan. Know why you're going, do what it is that you intend to do, and then leave. And so I try to go, I try to check real quick or post real quick, and then I try to leave. I think that's just really good advice. But I've actually heard of people who will move away from a neighborhood because of some kind of animosity they have with, with a neighbor. You've got that neighbor, maybe they build a bigger fence or they put up the trees or just whatever happened, you're on my property line. I don't feel like that happens as much in the city of Portland, but in the context where I grew up. And so there's animosity. And sometimes neighbors will just entirely up and move because they want to avoid that person instead of confront them. So we have this fight or flight mentality. Now, this one will hit a little bit closer home, but I know people who've left their church. This one actually might be the most common, who, who will leave their church because of somebody else. But there's some kind of animosity and that really it's heartbreaking. That's really, really sad that brothers and sisters in Christ can't come to the table and work it out. Doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everyone. Don't mishear me, but that you should be able to, to reconcile things and still be within the same fellowship of one another. But oftentimes somebody will end up leaving their church because they want to either avoid somebody altogether, avoid the situation, or because of there's just the, the hardness of their heart, they don't want to work it out. And so who are those people in your life that you want to fight or you just don't want to talk to them at all? I want you to fill in the blank this morning. Whoever those people are, here's what Jesus comes and says about them. He says, that person that you're thinking of right now, this morning, you don't crush them. You don't, you don't belittle them. You don't ridicule them. You don't slander them. But you know what you do? Jesus says, you love them. That person that you don't, you don't avoid them, but you actually pursue them. Now you see why this ethic is so radical. Because if you're actually giving real life examples, if you're jotting them down or you have them in your head, you, you don't want to pursue those people. If I'm being honest this morning, there's people in my life, like I don't want to pursue them. I'm like, man, I'm going to totally avoid them. Or if I do see them, I'm probably going to like, not physically get in a fight with them. I'm probably going to get some kind of argument with them. And Jesus says, no, I want you to love them and I want you to pursue them. And this is why we see this. This is such a radical ethic that Jesus is calling us, the citizens of his kingdom, to live out. Now, Jesus doesn't give us a lot of detail because it's a basically assumed here that you will have someone in mind. It's basically assumed that you will have an enemy. And so I'd go as far as to say that all of us have someone in mind this morning. All of us have somebody we can think of that, man, I, I think, yeah, I would say that they're an enemy. Some of you might have multiple someones in mind this morning uh, of people that, that maybe you've just never been able to reconcile. It could be a family member. It could be a sibling. It could be a parent. It could be a spouse. It could be a neighbor, a friend in the community. And so you might have multiple someones this morning. But here's what Jesus does do. Jesus doesn't give us a lot of details about that. He just kind of assumes that you're all going to have someone. That, that That's kind of the scenario. But Jesus goes into much more detail on why it is that we are to actually love our enemy. And so what he does is we see Jesus, he kind of doubles down on this concept of loving those people who are the hardest to love in our lives. Yes, God hates evil but he still brings many blessings to this life, even to his enemies, by means of what theologians call common grace. Which common grace, if you're not familiar with that, really you see it all over life, but it's that favor that he gives to all people and not just to his followers. And so we're, we're given specific grace, those are his followers of Jesus, but common grace happens to all people. Some examples of common grace. Think about nature. Whenever you drive through the gorge or maybe you go up to Mount Hood to snowboard or ski or you go down to Cannon Beach and just stare out at the ocean, all of us as Oregonians, all of us as Portlanders, we enjoy that natural beauty. We enjoy that creation. One does not need to be a follower of Jesus in order to recognize that, man, there is something beautiful there. 
And in fact, I would think that most people, when they take a step back and are just enjoying those, that scenery, they have to think, man, this came from something bigger than myself. Which really, if people can recognize beauty, that's one sign, that's one step towards them recognizing that there is a God. Another way is maybe more common because we can't always get out to, to nature is good food in Portland. I mean, we live in one of the best foodie cities in our country. It's, I mean, it kind of destroys vacation when you leave because part of vacation is eating good food at places you've never been. Well, when you leave Portland, most places are kind of a big letdown and a big disappointment. But God gave every single person taste buds. You ever thought about that? God could have just given us food provision and just said, you need to eat in order to, to live, basically. But God wanted to step above that and say, I'm going to give you taste buds. So you can actually taste that food, the vegetables and the fruits and even the bad foods for us and the, the cheesecakes and things like that. You're going to taste it. And so unless you have COVID currently, which I really hope that you don't because then everyone I've talked to has lost their taste, you can enjoy that food. It's pleasurable for you. And so one does not have to be a Christian in order to enjoy food. You just have to be someone who has to eat, which is all of us. Think about this one. The smell and the first sip of a freshly brewed extracto coffee. Like that alone is evidence of God in my own life. When I, when I walk into the cafe and I can smell that they're roasting it, and then I can smell the coffee as they grind it and they, they make that fresh cup of coffee for me, I take that first sip. I think, man, there is a God. And I recognize that because of this cup of coffee that I'm drinking. And so common grace, we see it everywhere in life. And so that's what it's saying here, that even those who are in rebellion towards God, even those who would be, quote, unquote, enemies of God, he still bestows on them common grace. And these blessings of common grace, they're not only intended for enjoyment. I mean, we all get enjoyment out of those things. We all get enjoyment out of the pleasures of life. But they are intended to lead unbelievers to repentance. They are intended, so going back to kind of nature, when, when someone looks at the beauty of Mount Hood, when someone looks at the beauty of, of Cannon Beach, when somebody looks at the beauty of the gorge, they're there to go, man, there, there is a God. And they start researching, questioning life. And so it's that they recognize that such good gifts could only come from a creator. And as you study the life of Jesus, here's what we'll see Jesus does. He narrows down the 613 plus rulings of the law to just two. Okay, so how is it you are to be a good Christian? Here are the two ways. Jesus says, love God and love neighbor. It's really that simple. It's not simple to live out, but it's that simple that you love God and you love neighbor. And then he gave his disciples, which that includes us, a divine guide for living this out in our lives. John Stott, this is for our neighbor, as he illustrates later, is plainly in the parable of the Good Samaritan, is not necessarily a member of our own race, rank, or religion. He or she may not even have any connection with us. He or she may even be our enemy who is after us with a knife or a gun. Our neighbor in the vocabulary of God includes our enemy. To him or her as our neighbor is simply that he or she is a fellow human being in need, whose need we know and are in a position in some measure to relieve. And you, so, so you see this idea of praying for those who persecute you. It's not some kind of cute formula designed to get us over the hump of bad feelings of resentment towards somebody. But praying for those who persecute you, that is the concrete behavior of going to the God in the hope of reconciliation and, and love and justice and peace and, and a kingdom society. Praying for those who persecute you. Now, I know in the U.S. we still live in a country where we kind of can laugh at what our version of persecution, but I feel like it's coming more and more. 
And so once again, it's really hard to be a Christian in this city. So it might just be people who don't invite you to a lot of things. It might be people who, who laugh at you or who ridicule you in some way and it's going, pray for those people. Don't, don't throw it back. Don't dish it back, but pray for those people. And so we are to love our enemies. Because, why? Because God loves all people with his common grace. And so even those people who you don't like, even those people that you don't get along with, even those people that you can't stand and you hope they move away from your street or that they quit the job where you have to sit next to them in a cubicle, even those people we are to love because God loves them. And so when our enemy is seeking our harm, we must seek his or her good because this is how God has treated us. It is while we were enemies, sinners, that Christ came and reconciled us to God. And how did he do that? He gave himself for his enemies, and we must give ourselves for ours because Christ came and he died for us so that we can be reconciled to God. Now look again at verses 46 and 47. It says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And so we, we see here that we are to love our enemies because the Father practically loved people who don't love him. Think about it. You didn't start out loving God. It was once you became a Christ follower, once you were illuminated and you understood what Jesus did for you that became a follower and started loving him, but you didn't love him, but God still loved you. And you see that we are to live in this way. We are to live in a counterculture way, in a different way. And we are to live in a way that shows forth kindness, the kindness of God in our lives that we are to then reciprocate to others. And so here's my question. How do we, as citizens of the kingdom of God, how do we practically love our enemies? Let me give this a couple ways. First, we are practically to love our enemies by praying for them. So whether you get a nasty email or a social media post or something else that probably isn't even true, before we do anything else, the practical way to love them is to pray for them. So you receive that nasty email. If you're like me, it gets your blood going. This is why it's not a good idea to check your email first thing in the morning. What I mean is like, get up and brush your teeth or read your Bible or take a shower, do all those other things. Because all it takes is one email, one simple little email and it'll ruin your day. And so I've had those days where I'll check an email when I shouldn't have and it'll be a nasty email. I mean, it just gets my blood boiling. your natural response. You type a nasty email back and you send it. Now, what if instead you stopped? Yeah, you might get mad. That's a natural response. But instead of sending an email back, what if you prayed for them? What if you said, man, God, I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know why they wrote that. That's not true. I don't know why they did that, that you pray for them. I guarantee that you either wouldn't write that email back to them or there'd be a very different tone of an email. I was in a meeting this week and, and something was said that, honestly, if I allowed it to be, it could have been really, really hurtful to me. It kind of took me to a dark place from a season in the past. And so as I, as I heard that, I stopped that I'm not going to let that affect me. Instead, I'm going to pray for that person. And I'm going to pray for, for what it is that they shared with me and what it is that they said to me. And I'm assuming the best intent about them. What about that social media post that you see? That, that post that just angers you. And that person who believes very different than you. Their political views are the exact opposite. And so right now you might be going, man, that's it. I've had it. If I, if I see one more post, then you see it. I've just got to speak out. You know, I've had those times in my life where I'm like, okay, that person has posted this type of stuff for like weeks on end. I'm going to have to say something. Or, or maybe someone who believes differently or, or they would have handled differently the Black Lives Matter movement or, or the election or even what happened last week at our nation's capital. And you see these posts and it's, 
It's either for something or against something or, or speaking out about somebody, how it is that you respond. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't stand up and respond or speak out on areas because I believe that we are to do those things. But I believe we're to do those things as we looked at last week. I believe we are not to be passive. We are to be active, but we are to be active in a different way than what the world would be. But regardless, even with the social media post, what if you first prayed? What if you first prayed for that individual, prayed for whatever's going on in their heart and whatever's going on in their lives, and then respond? You know, or if you're like me, I use Twitter more than I use Instagram or, or um, Facebook. And so sometimes I'll write a response and then I'll save it in my drafts and say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for this person and maybe this is 9 a.m. in the morning. Like if it's still relevant to me at three o'clock in the afternoon, then I'm gonna go ahead and I'll go ahead and post that and respond to them. But just feel like, you know, we always have, we feel like in this digital age that we have to respond like immediately because things are moving so quickly. But I think it's okay to say, I'm gonna set on it for a few minutes or, or with an email, I had an email this week that I had to write and it was kind of sensitive material. And I just wanna make sure that, check my own heart, my own posture. So I sent that to two or three other people first and said, hey, would you view this kind of third parties? So here's the context. Would you read this for me and help me see if my tone is coming across accurately? So we have permission to do those types of things, but I would say start out by praying and then follow through on the way that you feel like God is leading you to follow through. How about when that person cuts you off in traffic? Maybe you're on I-5 and you get cut off, or maybe you're on 33rd Avenue and someone slams on brakes because you know in the afternoon it gets kind of just backed up going north and south. What's your natural response to do? Kind of honk the horn and yell at them or maybe throw your hands up or if it's really bad in the heat of the moment, you might throw a finger up and some kind of gesture that you shouldn't do. But what if in that moment, yeah, you, you kind of lunge forward with the brakes and you're like, ah, what if you prayed for them instead? Because you know what? You never know what's going on in that person's life. Maybe, maybe that person is in a hurry because they are trying to get to the hospital and there's, there's someone in the car that has a life-threatening injury and if they don't get to the hospital, they might die. Or, or maybe a, an individual cuts you off in traffic. They are running late for work and you want to use grace because of that and their boss, if you're late one more time, then you're going to lose your job. And so if we can assume the best about them and we can, we can pray for them, and then it won't ruin your day. Because a lot of times what happens, if you get in those situations, that'll ruin the rest of your day because you're so angry that this person did that to you. Now, the second practical way that we're given here that we can love our enemies is do good for them, which in many ways, I feel like this is a higher standard than praying for them. Now here, I think that, here's why I say that, because I think praying for them, we can at least say that we're gonna pray for them. And I mean, you can just sit and pray or you can walk and pray to God, but actually doing something active, you know, prayer is kind of our inability and our, our inactivity, because it's God who's acting. Right? Our, our hearts are being molded and changed, but to actually do good for them means I'm tangibly doing something to, to better this person's life or to bless this person. And so when, when you look at that, like the question, natural question you might have is, are we supposed to kind of overlook offenses of our enemies when they do wrong? Micah 6, 8 has something to say about that. He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so wanting love and justice at the same time is possible. Let me say that again in this uh, year plus that we've been talking about justice a lot. Wanting love and justice at the same time is possible. We do justice and, and kindness and walk humbly. What about someone who's walking in sin? Are we still to do good to them? How do we respond? Think about it this way. God pursues you. God pursues us and runs after us by fighting for us and against some of those very things that will crush us if he didn't come after us. I mean, who am I to say what's good or right for somebody else but don't mishear me when I say that. What I mean by that is we aren't the ultimate judge. You know, Even within the, uh, the evangelical world, we have these different things called convictions. 
And there are some gray areas that some people might can handle certain things that other people can't handle. And they're not necessarily uh, a sin for all people. And so I say that we're not the ultimate judge, but here's who is. We point to the one who's the ultimate judge. We, we point to a God who knows what's good in everyone's life. We point to a God who knows what's best in everyone's life. And so when we were far away from God, God came near to us. And so I say even, even those who are in rebellion, that we are still to do good to those people. And so as Christians, as Christ followers, as called out ones, as citizens of his kingdom, we are specifically called to love our enemies. And when, when you love your enemy, there's, what do you think about? there's no self-interest there. But this is impossible. It is impossible to love our enemies without the supernatural grace of God. And so apart from that, there is no loving our enemies, which is what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. pointed out in his sermon back in 1957. You see, it's the same text. It hasn't, it hasn't changed in all these years. And just as with all the other antitheses in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, they're all radically impossible apart from the supernatural grace of God. And so for, in order for you to love your enemy, in order for me to love our, my enemy, in order for us to love our enemies, we need the supernatural grace of God. And so that's my prayer for us this morning, that God's supernatural grace would enable us and allow us to go and love our enemies. Finally, in verse 48, it says, You therefore must be perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus, for making it easy on us. As your heavenly Father is perfect. And so we see that as Christians seek to live in conformity to Scripture, we are in fact pursuing the very perfection of God. This perverse provides a conclusion of the, the summary of this antithesis section showing that all of the law and the prophets find their perfect fulfillment in the perfection of the Father, which is what all of Jesus' disciples were called to pursue. And so we look to the one who has perfected all of these things, even in our imperfection. And so we are to love our enemies. Why? Because our Father loves with a perfect love. Jesus calls us to a different love because of his love, a love that we as his people are to imitate. Even those people who are hard to love in your lives. We don't love our enemies. Think of it this way. We don't love our enemies to become sons and daughters of God. You know, I think sometimes people, they can add this kind of the religious section. Like, well, I'm going to force myself to love this person so I can be a son or daughter of God. Like, no, no, no. We love our enemies because we are sons and daughters of God. Because that's already been declared over us. And by loving our enemies, what are we doing is we are exhibiting the family likeness as we have become peacemakers and have become loving with an all-embracing love just like Jesus has for us. And so I've heard it said this way, this is who we are and now we are to act out of that. So it's not something that we need to, to, to um, try to scheme up on our own. This, this is something that you naturally are becoming because of the supernatural grace of God working in your life. And so here's what we see this morning. Jesus has set a model before us as an alternative to the world around us. And, and how, where do we get that model from? The Father above us. And it's by looking to the Father and what it is that He has done that allows us to do this. Since our Father is kind to evil as well as good, His children must be too. The life of the old fallen humanity is based on rough justice, avenging injuries, returning favors. The life of the new, the that would be us as well, humanity is based on divine love. And so as a result, church, we should refuse to take revenge, but we should overcome evil with good. I can't think of much better advice than some of the things we've even looked at in our, our own nation over the last year, that we should overcome evil with good. Church, we are to overcome evil with good. Even, even thinking back on social media posts, I think one of the concerning things is even Christians, I see that, and I'm guilty of it as well, we tend to just post bad things. We post all the bad that's coming, all the bad in the world that's happening. I get it. We live in a fallen world, but 
I feel like Christians, we're supposed to be spreaders of good news. And so I'm not saying pretend that all things are good and ignore those, those realities, but I think we should also post good, good stories. Post things that we, as the church, sojourn in other churches, that what we are doing, how we're loving our fellow mankind, that we need to see more of those stories as we move into this new year of 2021. As you look back over these six ways that Jesus has given us of living, it is clear that what the greater righteousness to which we are summoned is a deep inward righteousness where the Holy Spirit has written God's law. Another way to say, think about God's law is has written the ways of Jesus and, and how it is that we are to live that out. That's being written on our hearts. And so, yes, it is, is not natural. It is radical, but becomes more natural as the Holy Spirit writes that on our hearts. It's like a new fruit exhibiting the newness of a tree. Think about new life that, that we're going to see in nature once uh, we get through the winter rainy months. And we pray that happens quickly this year. And once we get to spring, we see the new life and the, the, the new buds all over the trees. And that's what happens to our life. We see that old and dead and it, it dies away, the leaves fall off and the branches break. But then we have this new life. And this new life is not from us, but it's from the Holy Spirit. And that is what enables us to go and out and to love like Jesus loved and enables us to love our enemies. And so our Christian calling is to imitate not the world, but our Father. And it is by this imitation of Him that Christian counterculture becomes visible. It's as you live this out that the world around us will take notice. It's, it's as we live this out, sojourn, that Portlanders will take notice. They'll say, man, I know we talk about love a lot and, and equality and accepting all people, but look at the church. They're doing it so much better. They're doing it so much differently. They're doing it more holistically. Let's take a snapshot of how Jesus was treated. Jesus is the one that we look to as our model. So let's take a snapshot of how he was treated. Jesus said, well, it's Jesus. He can love his enemies. Well, Luke 23, the soldiers mocked him. Luke 16, the Pharisees ridiculed him. John 19, the soldiers struck him with their hand. Mark 5, people laughed at him. John 15, they hated him without a cause. And how did Jesus respond? By loving. Jesus who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so what does Jesus do? He loves them with an overflow of his heart, a full heart. Instead of crushing us for our sins, which Jesus had every right to do, he was crushed instead for our iniquities on the cross. And that's the kind of love that we have as followers of Jesus. That's the kind of love that we are to bestow upon our enemies. Even if you have an opportunity to crush them and to belittle them, we are to do the exact opposite because Jesus did that for us. And not only did that, he adopted us into his family. And so our status goes from enemy of Jesus to sons or daughters of Jesus. And if you have never embraced Jesus, that's not too late for you. As this new year starts, I can't think of a better way for you to go from an enemy of Jesus to a son or a daughter of Jesus. Because Jesus, when he could have come and crushed you for your sins and for your life and your wickedness, instead he was crushed for you. And so I want to make sure that every week I provide some level of opportunity. So if you're tuning in this morning, say, man, that's me. That, that's me. I need to do that. Please do not leave this gathering without getting in contact with us. If you're, you need to write in the chat bar and just say, just write the word in all caps, response. And we'll know that you are responding to this message, that you want to respond and to become a son or a daughter of Jesus this morning. Anything about Jesus, those of us who are followers of, of him, that he loves all of us with his common grace, but his followers, he loves us with this specific grace. 
You know, it's like me going to the playground with my kids every afternoon. I mean, I can generally love all the kids and play basketball with them and play tetherball and have fun, but I don't love them like I specifically love my own children. And so Jesus moves from a common grace to those who are his followers to a specific grace. Scott McKnight, professor at Northern Seminary, says, we only live this text when we confess who is our enemy, and it ends when we learn to love them as our neighbor. We all have enemies. Coming into this passage, even as I was preparing this week, I thought, well, I'm a Christian, I don't have an enemy, but we all have enemies. America's enemy is oppressive nations. Republicans' enemies are Democrats. Democrats' enemies are Republicans. Pro-life people's enemies, pro-choice people, vice versa. Evangelicals, sometimes you'd say Catholics are our enemies. Black Lives Matter, white supremacists. And the list goes on and on and on that I think you're seeing by now. We all have enemies. There are typically people who live differently or think differently or hold different views or beliefs and work out things in life differently. But how does Jesus instruct us to respond? Jesus' fundamental strategy for our enemies was to make them our neighbors. Love God, love neighbor. Remember, he narrowed all 613 plus rulings down to two things. And the concrete form of Jesus' enemies' love was what? To invite them to his table. And so at the table of Jesus, we find typical enemies like tax collectors and sinners. We find Pharisees. And so we see that that all people are invited to the table of Jesus. That none of us have a VIP special. And so as we go about loving those people in the city of Portland, We need to make more people into our neighbors. Those people who voted differently than you, those people who put different signs in the yard than maybe you do, those people who look differently than you, then talk differently than you, who who live out their life very differently than you. What do we need to do, Sojourn? We need to make them our neighbor. And what do we need to do as a result? We need to show them the love of Christ. Because what they expect is us to do quite the opposite. They expect us to act the way that they act. I can think about conversations I've had over the three years I've been here and Sometimes we might be doing a survey or, or might be just volunteering with some nonprofit. And as I get into a conversation, they learn I'm a pastor. Oftentimes people say, well, I'm an atheist. Or I don't believe this. Or I'm a, I've even had people say, I'm a Satanist. I'm like, okay, let's keep talking. And they're like, what? You want to keep talking? Because they expect that I'm right away going to turn away and go the other way. Instead, I, I lean into them, knowing, man, we believe and live out our lives very, very differently. But this is what we are called to do as those who are Christ followers. And so my question for you this morning as we really wrap up is, How are you turning your enemies into neighbors? How are you loving those who are very hard to love in your life? And here's the reality. This side of heaven, we're always going to have those people. We're always going to have people that are really hard and difficult for us to love. So how is it that you are loving them and how is it that you are turning them in to neighbors? This is reality. We can't love those who are different from us or our enemies by saying that we'll do it. We can't just say, well, I'll do that. I'll, you know, after me this morning, he's like, okay, we love our enemies. We will love our enemies. And you can't just do it by saying that you believe it, but you actually have to extend in concrete actions the love of God to all people. And so that's why we say at Sojourn. You guys, I say this almost every week, but I'm going to drill it into your head until you're all repeating it with me, that at Sojourn, we are inviting all people to take the journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. And then if you look further on our website, we say all people, meaning every man, woman, and child, people of different ethnicities, different races, different socioeconomic status, different genders. This invitation is for all people. And the reality is, yes, many of those people believe differently than we do. Many of those people probably want nothing to do with church, but the reality is we are called to love people. And so I know that we're still in COVID-19, but I can dream and imagine and long for the day that we can go back to having community dinners and doing community service and 
serving our neighborhood because then we get to join people and fellowship at the table and get a chance to show them that even though you live differently than me, even though you believe differently than me, that we love you, not because of something we can do. Because in my, in my natural, remember, in your natural life, you won't love that person. And so when someone says, man, how do you love me? How do you have this relationship? And this is very difficult. Say, honestly, this might be really weird, but I just think, honestly, in and of myself, I probably wouldn't love you. But it's from the supernatural work of Jesus in my life. And that Jesus loved me when I was unlovable. And so I am choosing to love you too because of what he has done in my life. And so what we need to do is we need to get busy asking who are my enemies. And we need to get busy loving them into our neighbors. And church, I, I hope that if we overhear a conversation in Northeast Portland or someone would see a sign that says Sojourn Church on it or someone would find one of our invite cards, my hope is that response would be something like this. Oh, Sojourn Church. Well, that's the church that, that man, they love people. I don't know about their beliefs and their theology, and that's kind of whack, kind of weird. They believe that this guy was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life and died on the cross, and they actually believe he came back to life. And, you know, and then maybe they even kind of snicker and laugh at those things and say, but I can tell you what, this is a group of people, a church, who serves and loves our community really, really well, even those who believe vastly different from them. And for that reason, that they would want to know more about us. And ultimately, they would want to know more about Jesus. Because how did Jesus say that we would know? they would know that we are his disciples? Come, come on. John 13, 35. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Sojourn, they will know in Northeast Portland and Portland and our nation and our world, they will know that we are disciples of Jesus by how it is that we have love for one another. So let's go and live that out. Let's go and love like that in 2021 so that in Concordia and Alberta Arts District and Northeast Portland and in our greater city and our metro, they will know that we are his disciples. Let me pray for this to that end and then we'll wrap up. God, we've looked at a passage that is so familiar to us that we quickly forget it. God, if we're completely honest as we almost do like heart surgery this morning and open our lives. God, we all have people that we are bitter towards or have opposition towards or they feel that way towards us. We may not even know why, but God, I don't even know if I thought about this until this week that they that's what this is describing, that those are my enemies. Those people I want nothing to do with. God, I know that I'm not alone in this. We All of us have people like that in our lives. But God, instead of hurling that insult back at them, instead of honking the horn and throwing our hands up at them, God, instead of, of, of doing things to avoid them, God, that we would love them and love them in a way that you love them. But God, we recognize we can't do that in and of ourselves. God, this is something so radical and so countercultural that it has to be a work of your spirit in order enabling us to do this. And so God, we ask that you would work in our lives. God, that your spirit would soften our hearts and you would open our eyes and change it to where we see people the way that you see them. God, there's, the reality is there's people that are really difficult and hard to love in all of our lives. We gotta allow us to see them the way that you see them. God, allow us to love those people the way that you love them. God, if there's anyone tuning in this morning that is not a son or daughter of you, but after hearing how you have loved all of us when we didn't deserve your love, God, that they would respond in obedience this morning by turning away from their old life of sin and a life towards you where you make them into a saint. It's in your name and by your power, Jesus, we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.